Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Shark Coatings. Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Right here on this Monday night edition of Gators Breakdown. Every week, I am joined by co-host Will Miles. You can find him at a site, readandreaction.com. On Twitter at Will Miles SEC, reading reaction on YouTube as well. Will, man, we got another victory to talk about. I mean, only second time this season. I pointed it out yesterday. Only the second time this season the Gators have had back-to-back victories. Yeah, man. Well, we uh, a couple weeks ago we were sitting here at four and four saying, "What does the team need to do?" And we said, "Get bowl eligible." Those were the expectations <laughs> for the end of the year. And hey, two games later, we're bowl eligible. So I think better than most of us expected. I think based on the inconsistency of the team, we probably expected one of these two was going to be one that they dropped. And look, I mean, A and M isn't that good. We've clearly established that over the last few weeks. And South Carolina, you know, before we even came on, you were talking about them being smoke and mirrors, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And Florida's defense certainly proved that. But again, that's now six straight quarters where Florida hasn't given up a defensive point. And what were the odds of that two or three weeks ago? <laughs> yeah, it, if it we didn't put matter. That on our it bingo didn't board, who, who was going to pick that one, right? It, um, in fact, going into the Texas A&M game when Haynes King was announced as the starter, I will say that my Twitter feed was was filled with people saying, oh, good grief, now we're going to make him look like a Heisman contender. <laughs> and look, the defense in the first half did, and then the second half clamped down, and then Spencer Rattler were able to clamp down against him as well. So a lot of good things happening, progress, the types of stuff that, you know, we've been talking about for a while that we want to see. And, and, uh, you know, look, I mean, a win in the SEC is a big deal. A win by 32 points in the SEC is a big deal. This is a team that, that thumped Florida last mm-hmm. year and it wasn't close. And Florida basically rolled over, um, after the Emory Jones fumble that was, I think it was returned for a touchdown, but you know, they, they turned the ball over, couldn't go downfield were just inept on the offensive side of the ball and didn't really show any sort of heart last year. This year, came out, jumped on them, and it was over from the jump. And, and uh, you know, th- this is the kind of performance, especially that first quarter and maybe even the first half, that Florida can put together in spurts. Still didn't have a complete game in this one. I think that's the one thing you maybe take away. But, again, 32-point wins in the SEC. Those are uh, difficult to come by no matter who it is. And, 
you know, so appreciate it when you got it. Appreciate the bowl eligibility. Appreciate the opportunity to move to seven and four next week against Vanderbilt. And then, you know, obviously the big showdown on that on that Friday night with Florida State where everybody's eyes are going to be on the program. I think we feel a lot more comfortable about where the program is now than we did a couple of weeks ago. And that's a testament to the players and a testament to Napier and his staff getting everybody ready to play. Yeah, well, you mentioned program. This late season surge on the field, of course, and off the field. This is the first time you and I have gotten together on Gators Breakdown since the big Jade Rashada news, the flip from Miami to Florida. And Will, I could I just couldn't stay up. I, I put it on the on the uh podcast last week when uh Friday morning got up and, and did an early episode. But I text your Thursday, I think it was. I was like, Yeah, okay, the decommitment's coming, Will. Even even knowing that it was going to happen, I, I was so exhausted <laughs> from that hurricane last week. I could not stay up. But hey, look, it's uh, we'll get into it in just a bit too. But and you you put out uh, an article detailing Jaden Rashada, so we'll get into that too. But we'll good news on the field and off the field with this late season surge on the field for the Gators and in the world of recruiting. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think. Um, considering what it could be, right? I mean, they could be playing up the string. They could be five and five or God forbid, even four and six. Um, you know, Anthony Richardson could have been regressing. The defense could still not stop anybody. And we could still be licking our wounds over Cormani McLean deciding to go to Miami. And that narrative is flipped in just two weeks. And it's a reminder of how fickle the, the college football gods are. <laughs> and also how, how easily it is to to change things in a week or two when yeah. there's only 12 weeks in the or 13 weeks with the bye week in the entire season right that that the sky can be falling after one loss and then you put a couple of good performances out there and all of a sudden everybody looks up and goes oh, isn't that bad right and again at the end, will, at the every, every the year, sunday morning hit the reset button <laughs> <laughs> well do it after you read my article but yeah hit good, the point. Reset button good point good yeah. uh, sunday evening because you, know, you got to listen to get his breakdown too so there you go <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, look, I think it's we all expected there to be bumps in the road this first year. I think some of those bumps have been bigger than we anticipated. I think some of them have been smaller than than anticipated, right? I mean, we looked at it and said there's not a whole lot of depth. There might be real problems if there's injuries, and there haven't really been that many injuries for this team. And so, you know, there have been bumps with the starters, which I think is what we didn't expect, but the bumps haven't come because of depth issues, at least not because of injuries and guys who haven't been able to play. So it's been sort of a weird weird season a weird first season for Napier but you're starting to see the the um, you're starting to see his imprint right you start looking at turnovers you start looking at penalties those things that have always been a problem for Florida are starting to be things that they're they're taking advantage of now again you, you look at the special teams in this one and nobody's <laughs> going to write home about that and so it really has been a year where Napier has looked at the dam and said, "Oh, there's a leak over here," and he puts his finger in the in the hole over there. Oh, <laughs> look, there's another one over here, and that's what it felt like again, right? I mean, Florida gets up big, and now all of a sudden the special teams has a has a you know snafu punt on them, and then a couple couple of problems on the uh, on the punt returns and on the on the on the field goal tries and all that sort of stuff. So not a perfect not a perfect game for Florida. Um, but the good news is, and this is, I think, something that we should really take from this one. Had Florida played a perfect game, this might have been one of those old school Spurrier mm. 70 to three wins, right? I mean, like the a perfect game in this one would have just been a complete annihilation of South Carolina. 
And, you know, Florida was just kind of toying with them, especially in the second half. It's been a long time since I felt like that. I mean, there were times in the Mullen era where he was up on teams big and, you know, a little bit frustrated that he couldn't put his put his foot on their throat. But this is the first time I can really remember feeling like Florida was the physically superior team in a while against a, against a real SEC opponent, right? Not against Vanderbilt, not against Eastern Washington, those sorts of things. This is one where I felt like they were really the superior physical team. They were more physical. And even the wide receivers were out there blocking like crazy for those running plays. And that's how you end up with, you know, the big runs from Montreal Johnson. Obviously, the 85-yard run from ETN is because everybody's out there working in concert to make the blocks and spring guys open. And, and uh, you know, it's just been a long time since Florida's been the team that I looked at and said, wow, they out the opposition. Probably back in the McIlwain era is the last time I really said that, back when he had must-champs defenses that were running around and, and dominating things. So it was good to see. Obviously, I think Napier and Tony and, and the staff are starting to put their imprint on the team. They're still 6-4, and four, which mm-hmm. isn't great, right? I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done. But it beats the alternative from where we were two weeks ago. So, uh you know, good good news all around. Yeah, well, I want to go back one one point you made there, and you said even with the injuries, and Gators, of course, have been fortunate there. Uh, of course, the dismissal of Brenton Cox as well. When there have been those opportunities of an injury or the dismissal, guys actually had, there have been guys stepping up. You know, Tarquin goes down. Okay, Austin Barber comes in and plays very well to where now he's just in the rotation at offensive line uh, there for, for for the Gators and uh, other offensive line have stepped in as well uh, when dings and bumps and bruises step in. Uh, you've seen uh, Richard Leonard out there uh, playing for the Gator offensive line uh, as well with Ethan White out just a bit. And now, of course, we got a, we got our second game in a row here. Uh, Brenton Cox is not part of this team, and Powell and Summerall and Yuma Mielin uh, step up as well. And that's a position and that uh, part of a defense where we did have our biggest questions on this entire team of who would show up on the defensive front and who would. And now you lose, you know, a, a, a starter for this defense, a guy who has started a lot of games, and Florida has only gotten uh, opponents has something to do with it. But Florida has only gotten better on defense. So when there have been those opportunities of an injury or a guy who can't play, and Caleb Douglas stepping up with, for the last couple of weeks, Justin Shorter being out. So there have been those opportunities. Luckily, not a whole lot of them. But when they are there, guys are stepping up. Everybody just looks more sound. There were multiple times where South Carolina – um, was absolutely stuffed where Desmond Watson or Chris McClellan got penetration. Maybe they didn't necessarily make the play every time, but they got penetration that redirected the running back into the waiting arms of the defensive end or the linebacker who was coming and racing. Um, you know, If you look at the opening drive, they ran right up the middle and it got completely stuffed. Desmond Watson just threw his guys, guy aside, got penetration and forced him into human meal, and I think on the outside. Then the next play, they tried to run outside. Amari Bernie stayed home, which is interesting because those linebackers have made a habit of getting caught inside. Mm -hmm. Bernie stays home, forces him outside, does not make the tackle, but forces him outside. And then Trevez Johnson comes up and makes a nice short tackle on the outside. And so two straight plays where South Carolina loses two yards. And then there was a, and then on the next play, there's a little dump off and, um, uh, and the corner, um, Jaden Hill, the corner, keeps his outside leverage, prevents him from getting outside, forces him back to the inside, ends up making the tackle. But even if he hadn't made the tackle, would have had would have had help from Powell Ryland and Newman Meelan and the other guys who were coming. And so that sort of thing, like the first drive right off the bat, everybody did their job. 
And not everybody made the play. Not everybody brought him down, but everybody forced the runner for South Carolina into a worse position than he would have been otherwise. And that allowed Florida to get the stop. And and we're starting to see that a little bit more. And this is what Napier's been talking about, right? He's been talking for a while about 10 guys doing the right thing and one guy not doing the right thing. And it's not always the same guy. So this isn't a slight at Brenton Cox, but I think in many ways, um, you know, Cox and the Grantham regime were sort of marked by um, guys being out of position, not necessarily doing the the right thing all the time. And look, breaking habits is hard, right? I mean, there's a reason why I'm overweight. It's because <laughs> <it's> <laughs> breaking habits is difficult. And so these guys are learning and these guys are starting to understand what they're supposed to do. Again, not perfect. And against two opponents now who are substandard on offense, but the there's only one team left on the on the schedule who's not substandard on offense at this point out of the two they're going to face, and so going forward, I think we have a lot more confidence that the defense is at least going to be able to put up some sort of resistance against Florida State. That it's going to be able to come out and play pretty well against Vanderbilt. And are they going to be perfect? No, but putting up some resistance, you know, the offense and Richardson are good enough that if you put up some resistance and Richardson plays well, it's going to be a close game, or, or Florida might have a chance to blow the opponent out. Yep, so we'll get into some of that, Will, right here. We get to hear from Billy Napier today when he's talking about the Gators going on the road, playing in Nashville, playing Vanderbilt, and then that 11 a.m. local time kickoff there in Nashville compared almost you know, exactly like going to Texas and, and kicking off 11 a.m. versus Texas A&M a couple weeks ago. Uh, so we'll get that uh, thought from Billy Napier also. Just kind of the momentum the team is building right now. Uh, on the field, of course, and then me and you know Will and I will go off the field <laughs> with the momentum in recruiting uh, for the Gators with the big pickup of Jaden Rashada uh, at the end of last week. Everybody hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. If you're watching on the YouTube version right now, it really, really helps us out here uh, on Gators Breakdown, helps Gator fans out there on YouTube. Find Gators Breakdown. So hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you're not already subscribed to Gators Breakdown. And also, catch us out on Gators Breakdown Plus. Link is in the description. GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM. Get access to that Discord server. A bunch of new signups in the last couple of days. So everybody, thanks for signing up, getting into those conversations right there with fellow Gator fans on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord. Extra episodes uh, are there as well. So, all right, let's hear from Billy Napier, and this you know started slow the last time uh, the Gators were on the road. That 11 a.m. kickoff uh, against Texas A&M. Let's get Billy Napier's thoughts on that. I think we quality controlled that trip. We are going to do a handful of things differently um, from a time allocation standpoint. You know what we do. You know, I think it's important in the beginning of the week. You know, I think the sleep habits of the players and staff throughout the week will be important. Uh, and I think as you approach Thursday night, Friday night, um, kind of making sure that we make adjustments there. But, you know, parts of our team started fast. The other parts didn't, right? So I think consistency as a whole, uh, trying to keep some of this momentum. The things that we learned work Saturday. Hopefully we can apply those. Well, a couple different ways to look at this. So against South Carolina, probably the best start this team has had all season on both sides of the ball. Yeah, you, you score a touchdown, you get three and out. Uh, about the best start you could ask for. But, of course, this is a road game uh, for the Gators. And still, it is crazy. We're in November, and you look back at it. 
Florida has still only played two true road games <laughs> so far this year against Tennessee and against Texas A&M. So both road games this year, not great starts uh, on the defense. Only two so far. Uh, defense still figuring out their ways versus Tennessee and then found their way uh, versus, you know, with, with that slow start versus Texas A&M. So uh, it, it is, uh, I think, right now going off the last couple of weeks, they have found something on defense. They did translate that into a better start at home versus South Carolina last week so you know can they take whatever they found well because I I go back I do think Florida probably found something during that bye week and you were not going to see it versus Georgia because you were playing Georgia that's just how good they are Uh, and then it probably didn't look like they found anything the first half of that Texas A&M game but the sixth quarter since that first half the Gators have absolutely found something on defense and just playing with so much speed and emotion and confidence out there you, you can see it just bleed over Hopefully, for the maybe second week in a row now, we can see this team get off to a good start on both sides of the ball, and this time on the road. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a question of do they believe their own press clippings yeah. or <laughs> or do, does Napier go back and show them some of the tape from USF and, <laughs> and, and Tennessee and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, look, Richardson's been really good away from home. Yeah. And and in fact, you know, that game was 24 to 20 going into the half against Texas A&M. Big reason Florida was able to win that one is because Anthony Richardson was really good in stretches in that particular game and kept Florida in the game. Um, game last week, I think you could have had just about anybody at quarterback and Florida probably wins based on uh, – you know, a bit based on how bad South Carolina was on the offensive side of the ball. But again, Richardson made a bunch of key plays, some with his legs, some with his arm, um, to to put Florida in position to score. And and they're starting to, when they get the ball in the red zone, because he's not turning the ball over, they're starting to all of a sudden put up 35 or 40 points rather than putting up the 24 to 28 they were putting up earlier in the year because he was turning the ball over. Um, The Florida defense has gotten turnovers all year long. Even that Tennessee Mm -hmm. game, they got a couple of turnovers. Tennessee hadn't turned the ball over pretty much all year, and Florida was able to get a couple there. Um, They got a couple against Missouri. They had a pick six against uh, against what? I think they had one against Missouri. Then they had another one in there somewhere as well. The 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 turnovers have been there. What has not been there is the ability to force a punt. And so in the last (laughs) two games, they've started to be able to get off the field. And one of the more telling things, I think, in the South Carolina game was there was the third and seventeen on the second drive. Florida's up seven nothing. They get a couple. Of, they get a. They've already gotten off the field for one three and out. They have them in third and seventeen. They'd gotten a sack. I think Powell Ryland got a sack to put them in third and seventeen. And and Rattler hits one for eighteen or nineteen yards. And Jadon Hill was a little bit too far back on that one. Isn't able to make a play. They get the first down. And the next three plays were things where everything Florida did was fundamentally sound and they get off the field. And so it's okay to give up a first down or two, but to not just fall apart and fold, I think is the thing that was impressive there. And again, I mean, we're sort of patting guys on the back for doing stuff that a normal defense yeah. should do, but Florida's defense has been so bad that that any sort of progress is something that we look at and laud. Vanderbilt's offense is not very good. Right. And yes, they beat Kentucky and yes, they had a drive down at the end of the game, but Kentucky has not been very good the last three or four games either. And, you know, look, this is a team that's won one SEC game in its last 28 tries. There's no excuse to go out there, even if you're flat. You got more talent. You should be riding high from a confidence perspective. You definitely have a better quarterback. And yeah, it's going to be a question of 11 a.m. Are you ready to play? 
And against Texas A&M, it didn't look like they were ready to play. It just looked very similar to what we'd seen all year long. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, was it the time? Was it the, you know, was it that it was early? Is it that, you know, Florida needed some confidence? You know, we'll see because they're going to have that 11 a.m. start again. And, you know, if the defense comes out and struggles and can't get off the field and can't, especially on third down, can't get off the field, you know, this is a game Vanderbilt can keep close. I think, though, you look at all advanced stats, Florida is significantly better than Vanderbilt. Um, though, if you looked at the same stats, you would have said South Carolina is maybe slightly better than Florida and predicted that one to be closer. So, uh, you know, look, it, it only takes, it only takes a couple of turnovers to turn everything in your direction. And, and that's one of the things that Florida's going to have to really watch out for is making sure that, uh, you know, they don't give Vanderbilt hope because Vanderbilt's going to come in with some confidence as well, having just won an SEC game and really sort of building something there with Clark Lee and Barton Simmons. Yeah, so I think what you're looking at, Will, is for, is, is for this Gators team momentum now. They, they are building some momentum. The team has it, and you look for this momentum to carry over against a Vandy team that is coming off the upset of Kentucky. So, as you said, they may be trying to build their own momentum uh, as well with their first SEC win since 2019. Uh, Billy Napier goes into that. Every part of our routine I think we're improving at, you know, um, Self-discipline to follow through with all the parts of, you know, running, lifting, recovery, training room, meetings, walkthroughs, practice habits. Um, and it's not just players, right? You got to remember that all these people are refining what they do, right? So there's no question that that momentum part is, it applies to every single part of what we do. From the standpoint of getting a team ready for over how happy were you to see that result of the Vandy Kentucky game um yeah no I mean I, I don't I mean those are outside that those are external things you know we'd like to think that we're motivated by other things there's a human nature element to this though there's no question that uh, Vanderbilt will be different as a result of winning the game right I think that's a reality so uh, we'll have to combat, um, you know, some of the positive things that come with them winning the game. So I think it's healthy. Um, but I do think we have work to do, right? We have um, things that we're specifically focused on here uh, relative to our team. Yeah, well, I, I like that, you know, because separate from Vanderbilt, Florida does have some momentum right now. You'd hate to see that stalled out. I mean, I mean of course, I'm sure – a lot of us are looking forward to that FSU game next week. But you know, Florida's finally building some momentum. We took a look at this November schedule a couple of weeks ago saying, hey, this game's winnable, that game's winnable, that game's winnable, and that last game is winnable. Well, you got to go out there. and This is a chance to just go out there and play good. Uh, and, well, Billy Napier was not having it. Yeah, I could tell when he was walking up in his press conference today, he, did not, he doesn't even want to talk about the weather. It's supposed to be really cold in Nashville. Uh, Saturday at kickoff for, for for the Gators and Billy Napier doesn't want any of it. He goes, "Look, we can't control that. We'll we'll do the you know we'll we'll address the things that we can control." Uh, players have said it's not even really allowed to be discussed. They're not even discussing the weather <laughs> for the game. It is going to be cold. They're not even talking about the cold weather uh, in, in the locker room here. So, but Napier doesn't not want that to be a focal point and, and kind of will you know where maybe it kind of seeps in as maybe a built-in excuse. You'd like to see this team use the momentum to go out there and, and have a good performance uh, in Nashville just because of what they faced this year. I mean, 
We go back to a couple games ago, and Florida sitting at four and four. Don't know if Florida's going to make a bowl game or not. You'd like to say oh, all these good feelings that you've had the last couple of weeks. Let's keep that going. Yeah, I mean, look, you can't lose to Vanderbilt and and build this program. That's just the reality, <laughs> right? Vanderbilt's four and six. They're a uh, but only one SEC win. They are a decent team but they are not at the caliber of florida quite honestly the the thing i would be looking at though is they dominated kentucky last week 448 yards for vanderbilt 322 for kentucky eight yards per pass 4.7 for kentucky and first round pick will levis and then you got 6.9 yards per rush for kentucky but they had the one big chris rodriguez run and then you got the then 6.0 yards per rush, 264 yards rushing for Vanderbilt. They, they they took it to Kentucky. And so this isn't something where Kentucky turned the ball over four times and and allowed Vanderbilt to hang in the game, and then Vanderbilt was able to take advantage. Vanderbilt was the better team and then actually turned the ball over twice to Kentucky's once, and that's one of the reasons why the game was even close to begin with. So this is not going to be a cakewalk. This is a quality opponent. This isn't Eastern Washington. At the same time, it's not it's not Georgia or Tennessee or LSU either. And let, let's not let's not you know, try to try to make this into more than it is. Florida needs to win against Vanderbilt, regardless of whether it's 30 degrees, regardless of whether it's 11 a.m. Like, you know, use this. Like, it's funny. Like, if you're a football player and you're from Florida, like the cold weather should be kind of fun because you never get to do it. Right. It's like, <laughs> like I, I live in Pennsylvania when it snows. I'm like, oh, God, again. My kids are out there running around like penguins sliding all over the place, right? And anybody who hasn't been here before when it snows is like, this is awesome. I love this stuff. It's not until you have to sit there and shovel it four times in, <laughs> in five days that the snow really drives you crazy. And I feel like from a cold weather perspective, it should be the same way. Like, it should be one of those things where you go out and it's like, we never get to experience this. It's like 3,000 degrees in August when we're going through training camp and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. Like, let's enjoy this aspect of things and, and going out and doing this and and building on the momentum that you have, right? It's yeah. not like Florida's playing out the string. And that's the thing. If Florida was playing out the string and, you know, Napier was about to get canned and, you know, they're, they're just sort of, you know, this has been a disappointing season based on like what the expectations were coming in, then you'd say, okay, it's tough to go to a place like a place like Vanderbilt and get ready to go at 11 a.m. But they had an opportunity here to build on what they've already had so far. And, you know, like it's 11 a.m. and it's cold. So what? It's an excuse. Yeah. Go play football. You should be the better team. Go prove you're the better team. Go out there, get ready get every you know go make fsu have to quake a little bit yeah make their make their fans feel a little bit like uh-oh like florida's hitting its stride you know because they've only played syracuse and you know miami and miami <laughs> and wake forest and it's like you know come on like there's a little bit of a difference between playing georgia and tennessee and and playing syracuse so uh you know let's put a little bit of fear in them by actually putting an opponent away and playing a real four-quarter game yep yep I agree. Use this, these these good feelings that we've had the last couple of weeks. That we we got to keep that going. And, and but and play for the logo. Play for the pride. You know, pray for the helmet. Play for that. You know that, that your teammates there. That's what Billy Napier's been trying to push uh, there for, for for this Gator team. So that's what we want to see. We see this momentum carry over into uh, you know you play you go out there and play your game. You should pretty much handle Vanderbilt uh, if you go out there and play your game. Uh, with the game, even no matter what the first half of the season looked like, I think we've seen with the easy the easing of the schedule, uh, Florida should be able to 
to run away against teams like this. So, uh, well, a little bit of news, housekeeping, of course, for the Gators. Not long before we came on here to record, uh, wide receiver Trent Whittemore uh, has announced he is going to transfer away from the University of Florida. And I guess not too much of a surprise, of course, Will. Uh, Ricky Pearsall comes in as a grad transfer for the Gators, takes that slot wide receiver role for the most part, and, and runs away with it, gets a lot of the playing time uh, in that position that Trent Whittemore uh, would have gotten uh, some playing time in if Florida had not gotten Pearsall. But, uh, of course, in 2019, only played in two games, uh, taking a red shirt, been dealing with injuries. Uh, seven games, um, and I guess that would have been 20, 2020? Yeah. Eight catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Eight starts in 2021, 10 total games played. 19 catches last season, 210 yards and one score. So uh, I know a lot of people were looking for him to maybe have a breakout season this year with the new staff. Uh, never really uh, come about this year. Has not played at you know just not hardly at all this year uh, for the Gators. And uh, look, it's hard. It's hard when you you bring in Pearsall and you see uh, the type of production he's been able to put out there. Maybe Woodmore could do it too if he's been given a chance. But Pearsall comes in. In the fall, wins the job. Whittemore was able to go through spring, of course, uh, but Pearsall comes in over the summer, wins the job, and runs away with it. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think we, under the Dan Mullen regime, we always criticized them for not necessarily playing, you know, the best players at all times. And you know, Rick Pearsall comes in, proves that he's the best player out there, and that relegates guys like Whittemore to lower on the depth chart. But it's not just Pearsall. I mean, look at the guys who were out there this weekend with, mm-hmm. with Justin Shorter out and, and Jaquavian and Frazier's out, right? And Frazier's obviously jumped in front of Whittemore as well. But, you know, with those guys out, you're seeing Marcus Burke. You're seeing, um, you know, you're seeing Caleb Douglas. You're seeing um, guys who who are younger than Whittemore getting opportunities to go out there on the field and contribute. And so, you know, the writing was on the wall, right? And and we've said I've said this multiple times. I said it about Brenton Cox. I've said it about other people, which is that, you know, this is a forced marriage between Billy Napier and some of these players who were there for the Dan Mullen staff. And they didn't commit to Billy Napier. They committed to Florida and Napier was forced upon them by the circumstances of Mullen having to leave and Napier coming in. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to any of us that there's probably going to be a significant amount of turnover after this year. And I think in many ways that's healthy for the player who's leaving and also healthy for the program overall, because if you're relying on guys who were from the previous regime, I think that's a problem, right? Cause you want to be able to build the program in your image. And if there's one thing I think we can say in terms of looking back on maybe that 2020 Florida team is that that was for the most part, Jim McElwain recruits who were making an impact on the field for that 2020 team under Dan Mullen. And then in 2021, the bottom, just falls out of it because guys had not been prepared to step in and you you know all the new guys who came in were not able to necessarily carry on the momentum that Kyle Trask and Felipe Franks had helped to build there in the first couple of years so it's good to see turnover right it's good to see competition it's good to see guys entering the transfer portal this idea that that people leaving going to the transfer portal is bad i don't think that's true i think the question is why are they going to the transfer portal like are they going to the transfer portal because like Chris Steele you recruited him and then he decided to go to leave after like 3 weeks of being on campus 
or is it someone who got beat by someone who's younger who can get an opportunity to play someplace else? You know, and and obviously with Creed with a more decommitting not too long ago, this is one that I think we could all kind of see the writing was on the wall that that you know from the standpoint of of just in terms of what Trent Whittemore had committed to, it was something that was a little bit different than, um, you know, that the Napier regime is just different and that's okay. Right. It's okay to have, um, to have that sort of difference. And obviously with his playing time drying up, there's an opportunity here as a grad transfer to play immediately and to go to a place where he can use his two years of eligibility to prove he's got the ability to go to the next level. So you wish him well, thank him for his time as a Gator. Cause it's not like he didn't contribute anything. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he was one, he was, he was one of the better players in a few of those games until he was injured. He just really seemed to struggle to stay healthy once he kind of started getting things going. But, you know, you thank him for his time. He was out there on his field. It was a big part of what Florida has done over the last three or four years. And, uh, you know, wish him well where he's going and and just, uh, you know, look forward to the guys who are going to take his place on the Florida roster because, again, I think turnover can be healthy. Yeah, it was a little like whenever he was kind of ready to break through, and they just you know nothing would ever uh, couldn't couldn't uh, could not put pull through and, and get there. Injuries had a lot to do with it. I know a lot of people were excited to to maybe see him get a chance uh, with his new staff, but all for all for uh, all for nothing. Yeah, like you say, Will, hopefully goes on and, and it makes that name for himself that a lot of fans wanted to see out there. Um, and look, probably some writing on the wall. His brother Creed Whittemore uh, was previously committed to Florida uh, this recruiting cycle, and then committed to Mississippi State. So uh, I think that was maybe the first indication of uh, you know maybe some things all going on behind the scenes there. Maybe nothing hard, no, nothing hard feeling wise. Just maybe some kind of writing on the wall of um, kind of the situation going on there. Uh, probably very similar positions uh, the way. They were used maybe off to get a fresh start somewhere else. And, yeah, well, I wish him well. Wish him well. And look, we'll see if he follows Mississippi State. Maybe he follows his brother uh, to, to, to Mississippi State there uh, and play for Mike Leach. So we'll see. we'll see what goes on there. But, yeah, definitely be keeping an eye on him and uh, see what happens with him uh, as he goes on to be a grad transfer out there. So, all right. So, hey, we got some recruiting to talk about, Will. Uh, of course, hot button topic, but it's, we, it's, it's not recruiting season, Dave. We can't talk about it. Are you, are you sure? Are you, are, are you sure? <laughs> no, actually we have a new regime. We absolutely talk about it. <laughs> we can talk recruiting during the season, you know, not just, uh, not jokingly either. Uh, I mean, Next question. yeah, <laughs> action actually happening. Things actually happening on the recruiting trail, uh, there for the Gators. And of course about what a month and a week till early signing day. So plenty of storylines as we get closer to that. But before we do, before we talk recruiting, let's hear from our good friends at Shark Coatings. You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, and smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between, 
Contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com. Uh, Will, here we go. Of course, big news late last week, the flip of quarterback Jaden Rashada from Miami to Florida, committed to Miami last June over Florida and what was the storyline galore uh, in, in the recruiting world. It kind of just uh, set up for one crazy summer follow, following recruiting for Florida. There was some good news. There was some bad news. And a lot of bad news dealt with well, what Miami was doing <laughs> on the recruiting trail. Kind of started there with Jaden Rashada uh, and that storyline. But the Gators uh, get the last laugh there. I mean, of course, it's still a, week and, uh, a month and a week left. So I can't say quite last laugh but you know it would take some crazy crazy happenings there for not for that not to happen now uh but you look at that big big win for the gators on the recruiting trail just in general it doesn't you know take miami out of it or, or whatever you know for getting a quarterback uh for your class here i uh, know your second quarterback in this class to go along with marcus stokes will you released an article uh, I, I released the uh, episode last week, last Friday, uh, of course. So you can go back and listen to that. But I know you guys uh, want to hear from Will Miles and his thoughts too. He does have an article at Reading Reaction, really detailing uh, his angle of it. So I won't steal the complete thunder there. Uh, but Will, uh, some, some uh, and, and a tease, so we can get people to go read your article. Really good in depth, uh, of course. Just looking all around at the quarterback position and what this could mean for Florida. Yeah, so what I did was I looked back at players who've been rated between 1 and 100 at quarterback quarterbacks who've been rated between 1 and 100 nationally and said how often do they do they pan out, right? And you've got guys like Felipe Franks and you've got guys like Bo Nix, but you've also got guys like Tua Tagovailoa and Jarek Guarantano and Trevor Lawrence and Davis Mills and Jacob Eason and Harrison Bailey for Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So, you know, the, the thing is, is there are guys who hit and there are guys who don't. And what I tried to do was look at and say what are sort of the markers and who out of the guys that Florida's brought in when you think about Jaden Rashada or you think about Marcus Stokes which one of the guys in the recruiting class specifically sort of hit those markers and and you know there there are some good things and some bad things when you look at Rashada's high school stats and how they might translate and there's some good things and some bad things about Stokes when you look at his um but you can sort of compare it in terms of Anthony Richardson as well and and Jack Miller and 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 Kitna and Max Brown and all those guys. So I sort of took a look at all those guys and what do their high school stats sort of portend that uh, their level of success is going to be. And look, Rashada is a lottery ticket. You never know with a quarterback in this range. Tip, I think I think it was 25% of the players that I looked at, and it was 48 players over the course of about a six-year period in the recruiting rankings wound up getting drafted, but but a large percent of them got drafted in the first round. So I think it was 13 of, of 48 got drafted overall, but seven went in the first round of the guys who got drafted. So if you hit in this range, you typically hit pretty big, but but a lot of times you don't hit. And that's sort of the story of recruiting in general, which is that you always need to be bringing in a quarterback because over four, over four classes, if you bring guys ranked like Jaden Rashada in four straight classes, you're likely to hit on one of them as you know an NFL draft pick and potentially even a first round draft pick if you only bring in one of these guys every couple of seasons well then maybe you won't hit and uh you know if you don't hit then you're going to if you're the coach you're going to be looking for a new job so that was sort of the point of the the article was to look at historically what's happened with guys who are ranked similarly to Rashada he is not a can't miss prospect right he is not Arch Manning he is not Trevor Lawrence but 
he's a very, very good prospect. And so you need those guys. You need to make sure you're bringing in guys at that level, at the quarterback position on a regular basis. And so Billy Napier's been able to land that guy for this class. If you bring in a guy like DJ Lagway in the next class, now you've got two in a row, right? You've started to piece together. Who's the guy going to be in 2025? Who's the guy going to be in 2026? And you start sort of stacking those guys together and you're going to find the guy who can become the next Tim Tebow or the next Chris Leak or the next Rex Grossman, like sort of that pipeline that Steve Spurrier always had coming into Gainesville of guys who could chuck the ball all over the place. You know, part of that was obviously Spurrier being brilliant, but a big part of that was Spurrier being able to identify talent and bringing in the best talent into Gainesville. And some of those guys worked out and some of them didn't. I mean, you know, we talk about Werfel. We don't necessarily talk about Noah Brendice and, and, you know, some of the limitations that he had. Hey, Will, but, so there you go. That's where I'll, I'll, I'll go there next because you probably can jump in after this. All right. So last week I, I made sure to point out where Jaden Rashad is ranked in Florida's you know, 24-7 sports. You can go back and look at all-time quarterback list and see where they – and I think that's been going on since the year 2000. That's where they compile all these from. So, of course, the 90 Spurriers quarterbacks are not uh, involved in this, but it goes the data goes back to 2000. So Jaden Rashad is the ninth-ranked quarterback all-time since 2000 Florida has signed. He is slotted in between Will Greer and – and Felipe Franks. But go back. Let's go to the top of the list. The number one quarterback Florida has ever signed since 2000 is in 2000. Brock Berlin, the highest ranked quarterback Florida has ever signed. Talk about Miami and Florida storylines. Well, there's another one. <laughs> so Brock Berlin, he was the number two player in the country, top ranked quarterback that year. Chris Lee, the second highest quarterback Florida has ever signed since 2000. He was the 13th ranked player in, in that cycle. Um, Tim Tebow, the third best. We all, you know, Chris Lee, Tim Tebow, two of the program's best. Okay, not much needs to be said. Fourth highest is Jeff Driscoll, who we thought was going to be the next Tim Tebow. All right, it didn't work out of Florida. Cam Newton, number five. Yes, it would have worked out of Florida, but we, we know the storyline there. But we know how good he was. But for everything we know, his success did not come at Florida. But he's the fifth, rate, fifth rated Florida has ever signed since 2000. John Brantley, number six. Gavin Dickey, number seven. Will Greer, eight. Jaden Rashada, nine. Felipe Franks, 10. Ingle Martin, 11. Emory Jones, 12. Josh Portis, 13. Jacoby Brissett, 14. Justin Midget, 15. Carlos Del Rio Wilson, 16. Anthony Richardson, 17. We'll just stop there since he's the quarterback, Will. But there you go. There's just not many. Even the higher-ranked guys, your Brock Berlin, your Driscolls, John Brantley, Gavin Dickey, Will Greer, okay, yeah, you know, you take, okay, at, at Florida. Probably could have been pretty good at, at Florida. Felipe Franks, average at best at Florida. Yeah, there's not a lot of success with some of the higher-rated quarterbacks out there who end up going to Florida. Well, you've kind of made my point for me because it, that's a 22-year period, mm -hmm. and you, you were getting into guys ranked into the 200s to 300s by the time you got to 16 which doesn't mean you don't have a guy like Anthony Richardson out there who's really, really good in that space, right? And it doesn't mean that maybe you don't hit on a two- to three-star guy like Kyle Trask, but what it means is if you think about these guys as like a 25% chance, you were going to miss over the course of a 22-year period if you're only signing five, six, seven guys in the top 50 or even top 100 in the overall rankings. And that's sort of the point, is that if you have one every year, like if Billy Napier can bring in a guy of Jaden Rashada's ilk 
every single year, that list is just going to be that list. When you go back to 2000 is going to have like nine guys from Billy, from Billy Napier's <laughs> era at Florida that are on the list very, very quickly because there just has not been elite quarterback recruiting at Florida in a very, very long time. And yeah, you'll get a Driscoll every once in a while. Yeah. You got a Jeff Brantley. Yeah. You got a Tim Tebow. Well, those guys were brought in by a guy who we all kind of know is known for recruiting. And then you look at sort of the dearth of guys on either side of that. And I mean, well, Will, three, three of the top, three of the top five, Chris Leak, Tim Tebow, Cam Newton. Yeah. <laughs> and now Le- Leak was a, Le- Leak was a, was a Zook recruit, right? Oh but, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just meant, <clears throat> I just meant, you know, the good ones panning out three of the top yeah. five are, you know, two of the best college football quarterbacks ever. And Chris Leak's one of the best Gator quarterbacks ever. Yeah, so it, it turns out recruiting does matter. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it really matters at the quarterback position. And, and that doesn't mean Rashad is going to be a star. But if you bring in four guys in the next four years with profiles similar to Rashada, you will find that next Tebow. You will find the next Newton. You will find the next Anthony Richardson, right? You're going to find the guy who's got the skills, but also has the ability to play the position. And considering that is the most important position on the field, it's the one you need to emphasize, right? I mean, I'd love to have a left tackle. I would love to have Cormani McLean. I would love to have, you know, five five-star guys. But if Texas A&M has taught us anything this year, it's that if your quarterback is terrible, it doesn't matter how many sacks your defensive <laughs> line is getting, that you're scoring 13 points a game, you're losing to Auburn, you're going three and seven, and people are, are calling you the biggest bust out there. Like Jimbo Fisher has going on right now, because it turns out that Connor Wegman hasn't turned out yet. Max Johnson is who we thought he was, except for when he plays Todd Grantham, and then <laughs> and and then Haynes King has been bad, right? And so you look at the people that that uh, that the Jimbo Fisher's brought in. He has not. I'd have to go back and look at his classes to see whether he had top 100 or even top 50 quarterbacks in every class. I'm willing to bet he did not because if he did, he would have stacked up quarterback after quarterback after quarterback, and he would have better options than he has right now. Instead, he's really struggling to find a guy at the quarterback position, and that entire team is just being drugged down by it. And, uh, you know, look, so if you're going to prioritize your resources, and by resources, I mean name, image, and likeness. I mean time spent recruiting people. I mean you know time spent flipping people and all that sort of stuff. The quarterback position is the one where I think you want to spend that time because it's so critical to get that one right. Anybody who watched Treon Harris play, anybody who watched Jeff Driscoll play, even in a couple of those years where he wasn't all that great, you know, anybody who watched Skylar Morhenweg and, and Tyler Murphy and those guys play says, yeah, I get it. We need quarterback to be a place where Florida is elite. And even there have been times this year where you've watched Anthony Richardson play and it's been a little bit difficult or a little bit frustrating to watch. Consistency, I mean, it, those Florida teams in 2019 and 2020 could be inconsistent, especially in 2020 considering the defense. But, man, was it nice that when it was third and 13, you're like, that's all right, Trask has this. <laughs> It'll be no problem. We got this one no problem at all. And considering that, uh, you know, the the Falcons still haven't figured out that you throw the ball to Kyle Pitts, I think the fact that uh, Trask was able to figure that out seems to be a feather in his cap. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. One of the NFL's great mysteries right there, uh, the misuse of one Kyle Pitts. Um Will, you mentioned it. This is what we'll end the episode on uh, for the Gators to end an even higher note on recruiting. Look, this happened because Florida flipped Jade Machado from Miami to Florida. 
there's a lot more flip candidates out there. A lot of them on campus this past week. That's why the flip topic has been being brought up uh, so much coming off this weekend. And, of course, late last week with flipping Rashada. And, look, you just did it with two, with FSU. You flipped Roderick Kearney, offensive lineman from Florida State to Florida. Earlier, Jaden Robinson, linebacker, he committed to South Carolina, he flipped to Florida. Marcus Stokes was at Penn State, you know, flipped to Florida. And that's just to name a few there. Uh, Dijon Johnson was pretty much an immediate flip, kind of maybe more behind the scenes, uh, decommitted from Ohio State. It was just a matter of time before he was going to commit to Florida. But, well, there's some names out there still uh, for Florida. And, look, um, there there is this thought out there when a player you really want Commit somewhere. We do hear a lot. Well, it's not over. You know, flips. Flips happen. Well, they're happening more and more now. I don't think you used to could rely on it. I still don't think you can really rely on it, but they are becoming more commonplace. I just mentioned a good bit for Florida that's in the class already. We have a month and a week until early signing day. And, Will, it's going to be it's going to be IHOP out there. It, there's going to be pan, there's going to be flips all kind. It's going to be nuts out there. Uh, and we're about to go through a list for Florida right now. And look, Florida's going to be in for, for a lot of flips out there. And we, let's, let's just start at position of needs for the Gators. You're going to go to linebacker first. And, of course, the big name, because it's kind of coming out there just a bit more right now, Malik Bryant. You were in the recruitment for him, linebacker out of Orlando. He commits to Miami in that, in that summer stretch there where uh, if, if you were in a battle with, between Florida and Miami, it looks like everybody was kind of going to Miami at that point. Uh, but Malik Bryant right there, that name's coming up a whole lot. Can Florida get in position to, fix, uh, to flip him? Jordan Hall out of IMG, another linebacker out there uh, who was on campus this past week at Florida for the South Carolina game. Um, says the right things uh, about Michigan State right, right there, but another one I think you can kind of get into uh, right there. So a position to need, linebacker, as I mentioned, you got Jaden Robinson committed there right now, but Florida needs some more bodies at the linebacker spot. We'll see if you can. Like, I know a lot of people will bring up Pup Howard right outside of here in Jacksonville, uh, committed to South Carolina right now. The only way that is happening is South Carolina staff gets gutted, and that's that's still going to take a lot <laughs> there. He'd be my top choice. Uh, I just don't see that one happening, but I do see. Uh, you know, Malik Bryant, that one getting in there. Florida wiggling their way in there. Uh, maybe getting another flip from Miami. We'll see where that one goes. Uh, well, and then offensive lineman. Um, first, you start uncommitted there with the offensive lineman, uh, Samson Okanlola. We'll see where that one goes. But possibly a good chance Florida flips at least one from the group of FSU commit Lucas Simmons. Miami commit Francis um, Malangoa or Tommy Kinsler, who was previously committed to Florida as well. Uh, Simmons visited Gainesville this past weekend. We're hoping that one turns out a lot like Roderick Kearney uh, in, in a flip from FSU. Um, and look, Kearney's got to be on him about that. He maintains he's solid with the Knowles right now. Um, then there was some thought uh, going back, back to late last week that Malangoa and or Kinsler would visit Florida last weekend for the South Carolina game uh, as well. But you know Miami sent them this template tweet to put out to show their commitment to the U. Uh, so we'll see where that one ends up going. Neither ended up visiting, but no, we're ready to close the door on that. Well, there's a few more we'll get into, but positions of need, linebacker, offensive line. Gators, is, Gators might be wiggling their way in there for a flip. 
Yeah, I mean, look, the 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 ones that really warm the cockles of my heart is Okunlola and <laughs> and Malgo, right? The the tackles, you know, Sykes is on this all the time, talking about how you need very specific things to be elite tackles, and that Florida hasn't had elite tackles in a really really long time, and so they've sort of had to plug the gap, right? I mean, it, Gene Delance, I, I was probably somebody who was more of a defender of him than other people, but he was limited, right? And and Florida has it's been a long time since Florida has allowed offensive linemen who are not limited. And so if you have an if you have a five star offensive tackle, a high, high four star quarterback and heck, if you if you can make that two five star offensive tackles, I don't care what the rest of your class looks like. That's a <laughs> successful class. Now, look, there are still guys out there who are not flip candidates like Keon Keeley, Desmond Ricks, James Smith, Qua Russo. You know, those are guys who potentially could come as well. But I don't want to. I mean, I think I think one of the things we got to do is 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 understand that yeah there's going to be some flips but that also means you got to protect your own class right that that you're just as apt to have assuming that one of the impacts of nil is that you're able to go and potentially flip someone that you might not have been able to flip before one of the downsides to nil is that other people are going to be able to come into your house and flip people and so the question then becomes um you know, have you built the, you know, Napier talks a lot about relationships and not just coming to Florida because of NIL, that that's a component of it. And, you know, we're going to see how true that is, right? Because if he goes, you know, Miami could come in and say, Hey, we're going to up NIL offers on three guys on the Florida, on the Florida board right now. And, you know, does, does Napier have the relationships to where they're going to come tell him about that and have an opportunity to either match or, or potentially just say, now nah, we're committed. We, you know, our word is our word and we're going to stay. So I think there's an opportunity here for Florida to finish really strong, but there's also an opportunity for Florida to basically to basically be what they have been so far in recruiting, which is very, very good between, say, 80th-ranked guys and 150th-ranked guys and not really able to close the deal on these high, high-level five-star guys who are out there. And there are probably multiple reasons for that. But as of now, we don't have any of them committed we didn't have any of them committed last year, right? Kamari, Kamari Wilson was the highest-ranked guy. He was a high-level four-star, four-star, five-star sort of, um, you know, depending upon which service you were looking at. They're going to have to get some guys in the top 10 coming up in the next year. Certainly, it would be great if they could do it this year, but they're going to need to get some of those guys um, moving forward. It's clear you need those elite prospects. The question is, are you able to close? So it's great to hear that they're that they're looking at flipping Malik Bryant. He's a guy who's going to be right up there with Rashada in terms of you know the best overall prospects that Florida has coming to campus. But uh, you know, if if you're asking me, where do you spend your time, your energy, your resources, all that sort of stuff? There's no better place than than offensive tackle, especially <laughs> in that five star range. And uh, you know. Just give me those for Christmas. That's all I want. Like everybody else, I'm fine. Give give me Oak and Lola, and uh, and I'm gonna write an article. Uh, um, you know, extolling the virtues of Billy Napier and staff for bringing in a, a high high level offensive tackle to go with an elite quarterback. Good good stuff, because my, my Kaylee, my wife, has asked me what I want for Christmas, and I'm like, I, I have no idea what to tell her. There you go. Just find a way. Whatever. Yeah. Send, send recruits Florida's way. Philly season tickets and Oak and Lola. That's all I want. <laughs> there we go. So a couple more names will, uh, I think, should be on flip watch. Uh, John Walker, no surprise there. UCF defensive uh, lineman commit. He's visited Florida so many times since he committed to C- Central Florida. 
Florida has to sell the parents on, on, on this one. An official visit is planned uh, to do that right here coming up in December. Uh, and then this one's kind of coming out a little bit more as well now. Ohio State commit Mark Fletcher, uh, one to watch here. He's visited this past weekend. He'll visit Ohio State for the Michigan game, so he'll get that atmosphere uh, four-star plays at American Heritage down in Fort Lauderdale. So hopefully proximity of being in the state of Florida can help shift this one uh, as the Gators need to do a bit more there uh, as well. But just some players will. I mean, so, some of these guys you wouldn't even have maybe even discussed a few weeks ago, a month, two months ago. Uh, that's the crazy word of recruiting <laughs> right now with everything uh, and all the newness and some of the angles there uh, for recruiting with this You know, mo- about month left. Uh, so two more there along one defensive line, John Walker, Mark Fletcher there at running back. And, of course, I think we just have to bring it up because you did just flip Rashada uh, there from, from from Miami. Maybe keep the door slightly open for Kamani McLean uh, right there. We, I know it was a, a fresh commit to Miami. Uh, but, I'm just, I, look, that's no inside info or anything like that. I'm just throwing it out there as uh, I just th- – there's these crazy recruiting storylines right now, and some of them deal with Florida. Some of them are outside of Florida and dealing with other schools. Well, it wouldn't floor me. It wouldn't stun me if that one ended up happening somehow, some way uh, there for the Gators. Uh, there, you know, we'll kind of see what happened with with Ricks, the other cornerback out there. Uh, of course, that's visiting Florida. Um, in a battle with LSU and Alabama, there you get him. Maybe you just kind of move on uh, there from from, from Cormani, but. You know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. This this crazy, crazy recruiting world. I, I just don't. I, personally, that's all I'll say about that one. Personally, I I won't say it can't happen until he signs with Miami. Would I, I predict him to sign with Miami right now? I guess so. Just let me put it out there. I just say, would talking while we're talking flips, I think you still have to keep that name out there. Well, so um, you know, Florida has always been my favorite team, especially since since I went there. And they haven't really let me down in a really, really big way to where, like, I just was, like, depressed. The McLean commitment and the way that went down and how much information we had saying that he was coming to Florida and then him not really did sort of just, like, that was a rough day, man. Like, sit there going. <laughs> it was. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I already had the article written saying, here he is, <laughs> and this is what it means. I had to go edit it real quick and tell my kids, sorry, I can't play with you. I got to go write this article, but or rewrite this article. But the – uh um, that one hurt. And and as somebody who's a Buffalo Bills fan, I know what it's like to get kicked in the nuts by your team because they do it all the time to me. They did it just yesterday and over and over and over again. I don't like that feeling. So McLean, we're going to have to do a little bit of like kiss and make up if he decides to come here. He's got to come on the podcast. And we're going to have to have a couple of a heart to heart with the guy if he decides to flip because uh, I don't know, man. My feelings are kind of hurt there. I don't know how I feel about that. And uh, no, we'll take him in a heartbeat. Like absolutely. Like if there's an opportunity in Florida, can add him to the class just like anybody like there's this idea and, and it's weird right that these guys are mercenaries and that you don't want a guy who's out just for himself and and all sorts of stuff if the company down the street offers me twice what i'm making right now i'm out right <laughs> like that, like i'm loyal to the place that i work but i'm only loyal to the point where it's like 
it doesn't make like if it makes incredibly finance incredible financial sense now maybe i go back to my employer and say look this guy down the street's offering me this much that doesn't make me a mercenary it makes me stupid if i turn it down because it, it's money that can change my life and can make can make everything different and in this case this truly is life-changing money right when you talk about name image and likeness so i, I don't see these guys as mercenaries i see them as taking advantage of the the one time in their life when they're really going to have negotiating power and leverage and and you're seeing that when it comes to sort of how crazy things have been and you know it's different right and i know that change is hard for people and you, know, you sit here and you look at it and go, oh it's ruining college athletics nah it makes it more interesting and there's a whole different level of strategy now for these programs and they've sort of had to learn it on the run and i think at least what i'm hoping is is that the rashada flip is a sign that florida is starting to get a hold in terms of what their overall strategy is for not just name image likeness but recruiting overall so that they're going to start delivering on some of these guys so the hope that this brings with the rashada commitment is that you're going to start to see some of these other dominoes fall and if 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 napier can bring in a couple of five-star guys to supplement rashada in this class you're going to have a class that really comes pretty close overall from a quality perspective to ranking up with that Urban Meyer class in 2006. Probably a little bit less elite talent, but more talent across the board when you when you look at um, when you look at the overall class. And that's a huge upgrade from where Florida was under Dan Mullen and certainly under Jim McElwain. And so that's all we've really asked for, right? On the defensive side of the ball, progress. On the recruiting front, progress we're starting to see that and it's good to see and really good to see that the flip first comes with a guy at the quarterback position the most important position on the field but now like i said if we start talking about offensive tackles if there's an opportunity to do that corners are some of the highest like you can really sort of go and look at the guys and how they're paid in the nfl and go that's how you should prioritize who you're going to bring in because that's a league where it's capped and so you have to decide because you can't sign everybody and so that tells you what positions the nfl thinks are the most valuable so the places that are most valuable are quarterback first then left tackle then edge rusher then corner so if you think about like where you would want to allocate dollars resources time relationship building all that sort of stuff to me those are the four positions you start with yeah there we go, and yeah, I mean that's a good way of putting it. Will of you know prioritizing, and I think you know, for this class, you got your quarterback uh, corners. You got some good corners. Could it be better? Absolutely, but you got some good corners uh, in, in this class. You got Don't, a hell of a lot of defensive linemen. A lot of defensive linemen. Yep, yeah, as you said, the top of the offensive line food chain. I guess is now the, the kind of next priority. Good there and getting Kearney, who you're probably going to slide inside uh, there for the Gators. And look, we, we, we've seen how well Osiris Torrance has translated to his play on the Gator offensive line and how much of an impact that he has has made. Uh, no, go, no go, go get me four more Torrances, and you know, go get me one that you can mold into a tackle as well. <laughs> and then we'll see, we'll see where we're going after that. Uh, all I know is that I'm I'm gonna have to caterwaul like all I want for Christmas is you if uh, Oakland Lola <laughs> decides to come, man. Where that like I'd be so excited if they added an elite left tackle to this class, because um, like you said, I think that's the one place where you look at it and say it'd be really nice to have a guy who's just can't miss, plug him in day one, and your quarterback never gets hit from the blind side. There we go. There we go. So on the field in the world of recruiting is what we did here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Well, I guess we kind of have to do it, but Vanderbilt preview this week. <laughs> uh, Florida should win. Pretty significant. <laughs> I don't know what the line is. They should cover. 
It um, is. It is fourteen gators. Yeah. Over or under, like I believe, fifty-seven and a half. I'm trying to go off the top of my head there. I could be wrong. I'm not sure that I would take the over. Yeah. But uh, but I mean, Florida should cover that, right? I mean, this, this is a team. Vanderbilt dominated Kentucky. They haven't dominated anybody else yeah. all year, and so Hawaii first idea- game of the season. Well, yeah. But oh, the idea that the, <laughs> only reason I, well, I threw that out because it was a week zero game, and I'm watching it at like eleven o'clock at night. So <laughs> again, I, I think you know, look, Vanderbilt's heading the right direction. They are better and, and, than what they had there. They were, yeah, they they went from a zero to a one. Yeah, they went from a zero to a one. That's where they are on a scale of ten. But all the advanced stats, yards per play on the on the defensive side, the offensive side of the ball, they're an inferior team even to Florida on the defensive side of the ball. And Florida has been bad, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball all year long. And so, you know, this is one of the few times where Florida's playing against a team that has a worse defense than them. And Florida has a top 25 offense. And in fact, I haven't even looked at it since the game the other day. But they might have even crept in the top 20 in, in some of the metrics that are out there. Florida is an incredibly explosive team. And one of the things that they've done over the last couple of weeks, you know, we talked very early on, maybe two, three weeks ago, about I guess it was after the Georgia game where they were averaging more yards per play against Georgia than anybody else, but they only averaged 2.9 yards per play when you took out the explosives. They had quite a few explosives against AM and South Carolina, but even if you take those out, they've still had pretty good offenses. They've averaged 4.2 yards per play against both AM and South Carolina without the explosives and have been 6.3 against AM, 6.5 against South Carolina. So, um, you know, and then they averaged 6.7 against LSU, 6.5 against Missouri, 6.8 against Tennessee, 6.9 against USF, and 7.2 against Utah. So they've been consistent in terms of being in terms of being an effective top 20 offense all year long, Vanderbilt ain't going to be able to hang with that, man. That's the reality is Kentucky um, has had offensive line problems that showed up. Um, You know, Will Levis, you and I have, I think been confused about all the hype for him in the first round. Um, He didn't play well against Florida. He's been really bad on the road in his entire career. Obviously that game was at Kentucky yesterday, but a lot of the things that have caused problems for Kentucky showed up yet again. And, you know, Kentucky is six and four. They're not a great team. Unfortunately, Florida was definitely not a great team when they played them. But I think if Florida played Kentucky again, Florida would win now based on where Anthony Richardson is and how those two teams are playing. And so, look, Florida should dominate this game. They should win by more than two touchdowns. Will Vanderbilt, 123rd in total defense, 130th in pass defense. So they are the worst defense defending the pass in college football. So uh, what you're telling me is is that Anthony Richardson should have more than 112 yards. Yes, yes. Uh, rushing defense, they are 91st in the country as well. So, yeah. That bodes well for the thing that Florida enjoys doing. <laughs> yes. Uh, I know you like going by dif- I know you like going by difference metrics, but total offense, Florida's 31st. Okay. So. Yeah. Uh, and top 30 offense, very different yeah. than, uh, than than Vanderbilt. Yeah, there I see 27th in yards per play. Um, hold yeah. on, give me one second to check just because I would talk about this. <laughs> Vanderbilt 71st. Yeah, we're going, so down, we're going down the rabbit 40 hole 40-spot difference, 43. Yeah, well. <laughs> they should beat Vanderbilt by more than two touchdowns for the, for the love of Pete. Like, th- this isn't Eastern Washington, but it should be pretty close. There we go. There we go. So – Florida Vandy this week. Hopefully Gators win their third game in a row heading into the showdown with the Seminoles 
remember now, if you don't forget, if you don't forget, a lot of people I think have already forgotten that the game is on Friday, <laughs> the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday night. So uh, don't forget about that one. So yeah, hopefully we're talking about another victory when we get back together next Monday. Hey man, three in a row. It's a winning streak. There we go. Let's let's or two in a row. It's a winning streak. Let's put a third one together and uh, you know, be like that old uh, that old Bull Durham scene where he's like, like, when three in a row, you got a winning streak, or maybe that's major league. I can't remember which one it is, but uh, you know, it, we were we've been pretty inept on the defensive side of the ball. It's really good to see things turn around. It's honestly, it's good to see the fans sort of embracing this team. You know, yeah. it was nice for senior day, especially for those guys to have a good for those guys to have a good game. For guys like Ventrell Miller, who have been on a unit that has not been very good this year, starting to get some of the some of the publicity and the love, and then you know, certainly Amari Bernie's uh, turnaround. Absolutely, and look, I mean, I think Trey Dean's going to get a look in the pros um, as mu- as much as I think he struggled at times. Um, he's got some he's got some athletic gifts, and they keep throwing him out there because they need that guy out there. Um, and the fact that we haven't had coverage busts, that things are getting more consistent back there, suggests that everyone's improving, not just the not just the young guys. And so, uh, you know, look, I, I think it's nice to see, especially heading into senior day, to see all that sort of stuff. That could be an emotional day. You know, we talked about like getting started against Vanderbilt. It could be it could be an emotional day when you come in for senior day. Like none of the NBA teams, when they win their rings and they get the rings, they always lose. Like when the defending <laughs> champions come in, because they spend all that time sort of using their emotional energy before the actual game. So. The fact that Florida was able to come out and jump on South Carolina pretty early on, um, I do think says something about the focus of the team and where it's been. And and so hopefully we see that again against Vanderbilt. Yeah, absolutely. That's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site readandreaction.com on YouTube. Read and reaction there. Him and Nick do him and Nick Newton do great work there. Get together every week out there on YouTube. Well, What's the four topics this week, Will? Do you know yet? So, I mean, there will be some flip talk. That's certainly <laughs> sure. We'll be talking about two wins in a row. Yeah. Um, and, and then uh, and then a Vanderbilt preview interspersed with A&M um, burying them a little bit because that's fun. Oh, there you go. There you go. Stand up and holler right there on YouTube. Read and reaction. So, all right. For Will, I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.